Praise the Lord, everyone. God bless you. Let's all stand together. Let's go to him in prayer and let's ask God to bless us all here this morning together. Amen. Let's everybody bow our head. Jesus, we love you, Lord, today. Thank you for the privilege to be in the house of God. We ask you to bless your word, bless your wonderful truth for our hearts and lives. We thank you for your presence, your spirit, your power. We ask you, God, to touch each and every one of us here today in thy precious and holy name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name. Tell them you're glad to see them. You're glad to have them with you, with us, with you. Praise God. And you may be seated. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> We're going into the eighth chapter, the latter part of the eighth chapter. We've talked about the first part of it, and we talked about the adoption and how that had to do with the uh, resurrection and the resurrection of the body, and that is brought out in that eighth chapter so very well. And then in the eighth chapter, Paul moves into a different area here in which he begins to speak about things such as predestination, and he begins to talk about uh, the, uh, the election and so forth. And I'm going to get into that area of the scriptures here. This is starting in verses uh, uh, 8 and verse 28, and I'll read these in a few moments. <clears throat> but uh, I want to teach this morning on the subject of understanding predestination. And this is a very interesting subject. Many of you may not know that much about it, but I'll give you a little background of it. Uh, back in uh, the, the 16th century, uh, around 1530, uh, there was a man who came along who was a Reformation leader by the name of Calvin, John Calvin. Uh, he, was, he followed Martin Luther, who was the founder of the Lutheran Church. Martin Luther <clears throat> was the beginning and the first of all the Reformation leaders who broke from the Catholic Church and began to establish what, we later, what would later become Protestant churches. They did not break for that reason, but they began to see faults and in, uh, in scriptural, uh, scriptural uh, errors in the way the, the Catholic Church was running their their religion and so forth. And so Martin Luther broke away and with that and began to establish the Lutheran church. Calvin came along behind him. Martin Luther was from Germany. Calvin was originally from France, but France rejected his ministry. So he wound up in Switzerland and established a great uh, beachhead for, his, his, uh, for the Protestant faith there in Switzerland, in Geneva, Switzerland in particular, and a great church there, a mighty church. John Calvin, however, a bit different than Luther, he uh, broke away from having statues in the church. Luther said it was okay to have statues in church. Uh, John Calvin said no. Uh, also, uh, Luther said that transubstantiation, which is the belief that whenever you receive communion, that the blood is changed literally to the body of Christ and that the bread is changed literally to the body, to the, the blood of Christ, rather the wine, and then the bread is changed to the body of Christ. It's called transubstantiation. The Catholics believe that, and they believe that it happens whenever the priest gives it to the person. It happens through the priest. Uh, Martin Luther said it still happens, but it's through God that does it, and the priest has nothing to do with it. And so that was his little change on it. But when Calvin came along, he says, no. He says com communion is simply for in remembrance of him. And he was right. He was right. He was back on target with that. So he had some good things that he brought along. But 
Calvin also came up with a strange doctrine that began to be rejected by many of the other Protestant movements, and it was called the doctrine of predestination. <clears throat> After reading scriptures, and I'm going to read some of them to you here today and show you what, he, what his take on it was and why he went the way he did with it. But he believed that uh, we were born, every individual is born to be saved or to be lost. When you're born in this world from the time you're a baby, you're going to be either saved or lost, and there's really nothing you can do about it. It's a doctrine of predestination. You are determined, you are predetermined to be saved, or you're predetermined to be lost. It's called the doctrine of predestination, predestined from the foundation of the world that uh, you would be this way. <clears throat> Luther rejected that. He said, no, he said, that can't be so. Uh, later, uh, probably another 50, 75 years later, a man by the name of Arminius, uh, who was of that Presbyterian persuasion, uh, broke away from that. And he established what was called the Armenian doctrine, which is believed that free will, which means that everybody has a choice to do whatever they want to do. And uh, that became the foundation doctrine of the Methodist church. I'm, I'm only naming denominations because this is where they all fit in. And there's good people in all denominations. You well know that. And I'm not picking on any particular denomination here at all. But anyhow, the Methodists said, no, the free will. So you had the, uh, the Methodists who believed that anybody could be saved, anybody could be lost, dependent on the individual himself. The Baptists began to have segments, and they had one group that, I mean, pardon me, the, the Presbyterians whose greatest stronghold became the, the uh, Scotland after leaving Switzerland, it was, became Scotland, and then finally into America, uh, and they, uh, they believed in this predestination, but it was, very, it was very austere. And when the Baptist movement came along, they adopted the same because many of their leaders came out of the Presbyterian faith. But to them, the Presbyterian faith of believing that you're born to be saved or born to be lost was a little too severe. So they began to change it a little bit and said that... Uh, that we are born to be saved, that we are, we choose to be saved. And if we choose to be saved, then we can always be saved and we'll never be lost. Once saved, always saved. It's called the eternal security. So they adopted this eternal security. Uh, later, there were Baptist movements that came out of the Baptist church that began to say, we are the free will Baptists, you know. So if you ever hear the free will Baptists, they say, we believe in Baptists because the Baptists introduced immersion in water which was a, a thing that the Catholic Church had gotten completely away from. The Lutherans stayed, stayed with the sprinkling. The Presbyterians stayed with the sprinkling. But the Baptist says, no, the Bible teaches immersion, immersion in water. That is putting under the water. Um, incidentally, back in old Christianity, the beginning in the early days of the first century, you remember the fish was the emblem of the early Christians? It wasn't the cross. It was the fish. How many of you know that? Sometimes you see that on cars because that was the original. That means under the water. That's what it means. And it really meant baptism. It meant baptism. Bapti baptismal means be put under the water. <clears throat> so the Baptists adopted that. And, uh, and so their movement was on the Baptists. But they also adopted the predestination factor, but they softened it. They made it where you're not born to be saved or lost, but... Whatever you become, you can never, if you're born, if you get saved, you can never be lost. And so, uh, and if you, 
If you never get saved, then you, are, you probably never was determined to be saved anyhow. So it was sort of a conglomeration of that. And so they went in that direction with it. The reason I'm talking to you about it here today is because I want to show you the scriptures that they used, both the Presbyterian, later on the Baptist as well, to show here that they believed that there was what was called predestination. We are predestined. And this comes out in the book of Romans here in chapter 8. I'm going to read these verses to you here. And then I'm going to show you why this can't be so. Here's what we have to always understand about the Word of God. It never, it never contradicts itself. You cannot say this is a doctrine when you've got all of these other scriptures over here that prove differently, totally, okay? You have to always believe the Word of God, and it will always line up. For instance, I'm going to give you an illustration. I'm going to read the scripture here. But for instance, in Matthew 28, 19, it says, Go ye in all the world baptizing. Jesus said this. Go ye in all the world baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. He says that. And uh, <clears throat> oh, I'm with you always, even at the end of the world. Jesus told the disciples to do that. Uh, I had a fellow one tell me one time, he says, is it better to obey Jesus or the apostles? I said, you mean I have a choice? <laughs> I have a choice? You mean there's two different baptisms in the Bible? Yet the Bible says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, you know. And I, so, so he says, uh, you know, the Lord said, go, you know, we're baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Yet, when the apostles went forth, they all baptized in Jesus' name. So the question here is, is there a contradiction in the scriptures? Did they disobey the Lord? And the answer, of course, is no, they did not. And the whole, the truth about the matter is that they fulfilled exactly what Jesus said. Only we have to go back to Matthew 28, 19 and look at it a little closer. And that's where we're going to be doing it, the scriptures here this morning. You go back to Matthew 28, 19, go you know we're baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. The name is a key factor here. And it's not N-A-M-E-S, you know, names and Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost are not three different names. They're titles of the one person who has one name. There is one name by which all, uh, all humanity uh, is saved and on the face of the earth. Uh, I'm quoting here from, uh, not exactly from what I'm referring here, I should say, from Acts chapter 3, 412. And so there is one name by which all are saved by, and that's the name of Jesus. So it has to be the name of Jesus. So uh, Jesus said, go in all we're baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. They all knew the name was Jesus. So they baptized in Jesus' name. It's that simple. But when you look at it, you don't always understand it that way until you look at it closely. Now, I'm going to read the scriptures to you here, and I'm going to show you here how, how John Calvin looked at this and came up with the doctrine he did. Look at uh, Romans chapter uh, 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I want you to notice the plural uh, pronouns here, them, they, uh, and so forth, that how that is used, uh, for good to them that love the Lord. Look at verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, that is new in the future. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, and I'm going to say here again, the word them is here. It does not say him. Uh, incidentally, ladies, the masculine term is used in the Bible all the way through, so don't ever take offense of it. When it speaks about man, it's speaking of mankind. You understand that? 
So when it talks about uh, the human race, it speaks about him or them or whatever. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also, notice again the word them, not him, them he also called and whom he called them, he also justified and whom he justified them, he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered us and uh, up for us all. How shall he not give him all freely, give him all things? And uh, all the way down through here, verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? That is God's chosen. So Calvin is saying here from these scriptures and these words that we were determined from the beginning of time, we were predestined to be saved or predestined to be lost as individuals. You understand what we're saying? I'm only saying what Calvin said. We were predestined to be saved or lost as individuals. It says, who is he that condemned? It is Christ that died and so forth. And then he goes on to talk about the love of Christ and on and on and so forth. And I won't go any further here. It just finally concludes in that end of that chapter by saying in verse 39, nor height nor depth nor any of the creatures shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Calvin said, and this is called Calvinism. It is the doctrine of predestination, Calvinism, born to be saved, born to be lost. He says that from the very beginning of time, you're already determined whether you're going to be saved or lost when you come on into the world and when you're born into this world. The truth about the matter here is that he was speaking here of the church collectively. This is why he uses the plural form here. And this is what he's found. He he says, they and us and we, speaking of us as the church and what is being brought out here and what Paul is talking about in this latter part of the eighth chapter of Romans here is that the church was predetermined by the Lord to come to be part of his divine plan when that time would come. The church was was predestined. In other words, God was going to have a church and it was still refuting those Jews who believed that Israel was the main thing and that the Gentiles was just just lucky that God decided to let them come in and be part of Christianity, but they had to go through the law and everything. Paul was saying that, no, no, God had already determined in the beginning that there was going to be a church. You understand what I'm saying? The church, the collective group, not me and not you as individuals that we would be determined to be saved but that the church collectively would be saved. It would be here, it would come, it would be brought forth by Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are in the church and we are part of the church. I'm just gonna put this out for what it's worth to all of us here, just a little statement here. Stay in the church. I don't mean the building necessarily, but stay with the body of Christ. That's what's predestined. The church is gonna go up. There's gonna be a rapture. I don't have a guarantee that I'm going to be in the rapture personally unless I stay in the church. And when I say church, I'm talking about the body of believers, the body of Christ, that that we are part of. And we are bound together by two things. One is the spirit of God that is in us 
and that the blood of Jesus Christ that has forgiven us of all sins that we have put on us in baptism. He says, put on Christ, Christ we, and then Christ is in us. And by those things, we then are bound in the church and in the church. If you live for God, walk with God, serve God, praise the Lord, worship God, uh, keep the faith, keep the promises, obey his word, so forth. It's very simple. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have teaching to know what thus saith the word of the Lord, that we can stay on the, the, the way that the Lord has established. And if we do that, one day we'll hear the trumpet sound, praise the Lord. The dead in Christ shall rise first, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet them in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so it's the church that is predestined, praise the Lord. Now, <clears throat> not only does Paul bring this out in Romans, but he also brings it out in Ephesians. I'm gonna read a few scriptures to you in Ephesians. Because in Ephesians, he mentions similar, the same, similarly the same thing here. I'm reading Ephesians 1, 4. Everybody stay with me here. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Okay. Calvin says that's us as individuals. And we know now that that's not the case. It's us collectively as the body of Christ. Okay. According as he hath chosen us, the church, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us, the church, unto the adoption. The adoption is that rapture and the resurrection of the body that we were talking about. Of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And then in verse 11, I'm going to read this one just to add it on here. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined. We being predestined is the church according to the purpose of him who worketh all things according to the counsel of his own will. So it's God's will that he has established these things. And what Paul was saying here to all of these these Jews that might be saying, no, they got to come by the way of the law. No, no, no. He was saying from the foundation of the world, God had already established that was going to be a church and it's going to be a Gentile church and a Jewish church and they would be together. In fact, he talks about, I was just reading there in, uh, in Ephesians, he talks about the mystery. The mystery is that the Jews and the Gentiles would be one. He talks about that, uh, that in, in, in the disposition, the fullness of time. He brings all that out in the, uh, in, the, in the book of Ephesians here, and I may talk about that a little bit later on. But what I'm bringing out to you here is that when you read the word predestination in the Bible, it's not referring to individuals, and this is important. It's very important because if you believe that we as individuals are predestined from the foundation of the world, that means you believe either you are saved or you are lost. If you believe that you're lost, then you believe you can never be saved. And you have no hope. And the Bible is against that. It says that we have to have hope. And so if you do not believe that there is, a, that we, that I can't be saved, then you don't even try. And I mentioned, a, I gave you a story one time about when I was uh, running the camp meetings, the children's camps in Ocala. And we had, I don't know, about two or 300 children there every, for a week. And we'd have services at night. We'd have classes going in the daytime and so forth. And I was the principal of that. And I remember this one little boy never would come to the altar and pray. And many children received the Holy Ghost during that period of time. There are Pentecostal kids that come from churches all over, all over Florida. 
And they, they still do that, and it's a great program. But this little boy, he never would pray. And I said, I said to him one day, I said, I forgot his name, Willie. I said, you don't ever pray. Why don't you come down and pray? He said, because I can't be saved. I said, what do you mean you can't be saved? He said, well, I'm one of those that can never be saved. I'm predestined never to be saved. See, he had gotten that in his head from somewhere, somebody. I said, no, no, that isn't true. You can be saved. And I had to really talk to him. And I said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I can prove to you that you can be saved. I said, I want you to go down the altar and just lift your hand and talk to Jesus for a few minutes. And if you feel something, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost right now just saying it. I'm feeling it right now. I said, if you go down that altar and you lift your hand. Let me say this, folks. When you come to the altar, lift your hands up. That's when you begin to feel the presence of God. Some people come down and stand like this. And you lay hands on them, pray for them, pray for them. They may say a few words. Don't do that. Lift those hands up. You get those hands up like that. That's total surrender to God, and that's the sign of worship to him. You get those hands up. And I said, you go down and lift your hands, and you just talk to Jesus just like you would be talking to me. And I said, the Lord will let you know, and you will feel his spirit, his presence. And by that, you will know. I didn't know how else to tell him. And so he, he did. He did that. And he began to feel the presence of the Lord. And he said, Brother Myers is right. He was right. He said, I do feel the Lord. I, I can be saved. And that young man prayed through. He had, pretty soon he had some friends around him. And they prayed with him. And he prayed through the Holy Ghost and, got, and, and spoke in other tongues and then was baptized in Jesus' name. But I'm just saying it's possible for people to feel like that I'm one of those that can never be saved. Okay? And that's, that's the danger of that. Um, let me give you some scriptures here to confirm to you that it's God's will that everybody be saved. And if these scriptures were not here, then perhaps Calvin had an argument. But when you've got an argument and there's scriptures against it, you don't have an argument. And I want to show you that. Go to 1 Timothy 2 for just a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And... Uh, Look at verses 1. I'm going to read down 1 through 4. <coughs> Look at these verses with us. He said, I exhort therefore that first of all, this is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort therefore first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. If you've got your Bible, put a circle around the word all. All men. For all men. Look at verse 2. Stay with me on this for just a moment. I'm going to do a little side thing here. For kings and for all that are in authority, that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Pray for our leaders. Can I just say something here? Don't gripe about our leaders. Pray for them. I'm serious. Pray for our leaders, pray for our president, pray for our governors, governor of our state, pray for our mayor, pray for our police chief, pray for uh, our, our police officers, pray for uh, our senators, pray for, our, pray for our leaders. The Bible says it. You say, well, I don't know. Hey, the Bible says it. <laughs> Just pray. Don't walk, 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 walk. Pray for him. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. I've said enough. I've quit. I've started meddling as they say. But the Bible says it, doesn't it? All right. I'm going to leave it there. 
It says that, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks should be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all good, the godliness and honesty. We do that for our own sakes, that we may live a quiet and peaceful life. Now, look at verse 4. No, verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now, look at verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved? And put a line under that or put a ring around the word all. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? So therefore, it says here, who will? It's God's will that all men be saved. So how can some be born to be saved and some to be lost if it is God's will for all men to be saved? You say, well, Brother Myers, you have found a little obscure scripture there that you're, you're harping on. And no, 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 no. Let me go a little further. Look in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established, right? All right, so 2 Peter 3, 9. Look at this one. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. This is Peter talking here now, not Paul but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. Put a line under that. Not willing that any should perish, but that all, put a ring around the word all, all should come to repentance. So it's God's will that everybody be saved. Now, will everybody be saved? No. But it's God's will that everybody be saved, and he will help anyone who wants to try to be saved. Praise God. If you do like this, I'm not interested in being saved. I don't want anything to do with it. The Lord won't ride your case. He won't just hound you and, you know, carry on with you and everything. He'll he'll let you go on about your business and everything. You'll wind up being lost. But if you say, Lord, you know, help me. Let me say this, folks. Let me just say that. This This is Bishop Myers talking now. There's a lot of people out here that's trying to find their way through all of this murky darkness, this this, this world is getting darker and darker and darker with all kinds of phonyism and fake stuff and, and everything. My, my, if I can use Denise, if you don't mean use my daughter as a principal of an elementary school up in Rockledge. And she's telling me this week about a child that just went off, went off the rocker. Uh, I mean, a sixth grader, you know, they're pretty big kids and uh, just wild and he was threatening to kill and and he's going to kill everybody and just murder. And he was crazy like that. And when I look at some things on TV, I don't look at it, but I come across it on TV that they're showing on TV. And the kids spend hours and hours looking at some of that stuff. No wonder they get stuff in their heads and all that stuff. And people, they have this, this world is full of that. And people are looking for some light. They're looking for a ray of light. They're, they're saying, is, is God, where is God? And can I find the Lord and does God care about me and can I be helped and I've got some problems and I need, I need God to help me, but where is the Lord? And I'm just telling you, it's out there. And if you and I can help these individuals to say, look, you know, Jesus does love you. Praise the Lord. He wants you to be saved. You say, oh, I'm too far gone. No, 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 you're not too far gone. Jesus, praise the Lord, is trying to reach you. He wants to reach you. And all we have to do is just come to him, lift our hands to heaven, and say, Jesus, please help me. Praise God. I've seen the Lord save some people that's out of the biggest mess you've ever seen in your life. 
I mean big messes and everything, and God helps them out of it. I've seen people that's in trouble with the law and God. I was in a court case one time and everything. This guy had come to church and gotten saved, but he was in a lot of trouble in, in, in with, with the law. And he was in court and uh, got in court and he got up and they said, you want to have a seat first before we declare what your sentence is. You go and have a few words to say. And he got up and started crying and asked the people to forgive him for throwing that bomb in their house and trying to blow up their house and all that, you know. And you know what the people did? Jewish people. They got up, he was anti-Jewish. They got up and said, Your Honor, we forgive this young man. We don't want, they said, well, you can forgive him, but he's still got to face the law. I know, but we want you to know that we see his spirit change and something's happened to him. I tell you what happened. He came to this church, got filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when the trial came up, he was at that trial and he got up and said, I re-, and he cried and said, I'm so sorry what I did. I should have never done that. I was young and blah, 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 and everything. And the people said, we forgive him and everything and everything. And they said, your honor, we ask that the whole case be dropped. And everything. And the judge scratched his head and he said, I'm going to take a five minute break on this. I got to decide on some things here. He walked out and he came back and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to put you on probation for about, about a year or two and let you go free. I got a call from that fella. That's been 20 years ago. I got a call from him not long ago from Miami. He works for the Navy. He's a, he's a deep sea, he's a bell diver. He goes down into the deeps of the water in these tanks and things. And he's been working for the government for years and years and years. He said, Brother Myers, I've got high security. They know everything about me. But he says, they all trust me. i got a great job. I've raised two beautiful children. I'm telling you folks what God can do for any individual that would just say, God, I need your help. And that's just one story. That's just one story. And many of you that are sitting here, you've got your story, how, what God did for you and how he brought you around and how he brought you into truth. And I'm just simply pointing out this fact. Anybody can be saved. It is not his will that anybody be lost, but he wants to save those who will be saved and who want to be saved and who would just reach out to him. Praise God. So don't ever believe that lie. That's a lie. And don't ever believe it that, you, that you're just born to be saved, that you're born to be lost if you're lost, or you're born to be saved if you're saved. It's over. Let me read another verse of Scripture. You say, well, Brother Myers, you read two. The Bible says the mouth of two or three, and I'll give you a third one here. <laughs> let me give you that one. Praise God. Uh, let me let's see it. Book of Acts, uh, chapter uh, 17. Chapter 17. This is Paul preaching on Mars Hill. This is uh, chapter 17 of the book of Acts. I'm going to read verses 25, 27, and 30. This is verse 25. And Paul is preaching to these, uh, these uh, people on Mars Hill that's in Athens, Athens, Greece. And he says here, neither is worshiped with man's hand, speaking of, of Christ. And he takes this text from one of the statues where they said to the unknown God. So Paul said to them, this unknown God that you've got here, that you do not know who that is, I'm going to tell you who he is. And begin to preach unto them Jesus Christ. He said, him declare I unto you. So he goes on talking and preaching about Jesus. He says, neither is worship with man's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he giveth to all, all men, that is all people, life and breath and all things. This God that you serve, he gives to all men all things. And then verse 27, that they should seek the Lord. 
That is God's will that they seek the Lord. If happily they may feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. The Lord is as close as the mention of his name. That's why you don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. You don't have to go to Mecca to worship the Lord. You don't have to go to St. Louis, the headquarters of the Pentecostal Church, of course, to worship the Lord. You don't even have to be in church to worship the Lord. You could be in your car. You can be in Walmart if you want to. I'm serious. He's as close as you want him to be. I remember a brother of ours one time was driving out through western Texas where it was just nothing, just nothing, 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 nothing for miles. You know, rooping, 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 car just riding on, nothing. He was out there, out in the middle of nowhere, and he says, I stopped my car, and I got out of the car in the middle of nowhere, and I said, Jesus, I just want to praise you and worship you and love you. And he said, I felt the presence of God come down all over me, and I just danced in the spirit and worshiped the Lord way out in the middle of nowhere because I knew God would be there just like he'd be anywhere else. There's no place he is not, hallelujah. And so he is as close as you want him to be. All you have to do is reach out to him. Just reach out to him and say, Jesus, I love you. I want to be saved. I want you to help me or... Uh, you know, come to my need or whatever it might be. Praise the Lord. And the Bible says in the end of the latter part of this 27th verse, though he be not far from every one of us, every one of us, not just a few. Verse 30, and it, it says here, and the times of this ignorance, that is when men did not serve God and did not know the Lord, at the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men, put a ring around the word all, all men, men and women, of course. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And if it, God commands that for all men to repent, then it is, it's his intentions to save all who will repent. Praise God. So God has given us. So what I've given you here is three verses to let you know that anybody can be saved. Praise the Lord. Nobody has to be lost. Now, there's the flip side to that. And I'm going to give you some verses on that too as well. Here's the flip side. And that is that those who say that you're born to be saved are lost. And then the others who say that once saved, always saved. And if you once you're saved, you cannot be lost. That's against scripture as well. That's against, that's eternal security. In other words, once I get my name signed on the church book, I can't be lost. I can do what I want to. That goes back to that old Gnosticism. They had a belief of that Gnosticism, that everything you did, you did in the flesh, and therefore the spirit is going to be saved, but the flesh will not be saved. This flesh goes back to the earth. So the spirit and soul is going to be saved. So whatever you do in the flesh is okay. You can commit adultery. You can just be, you can get drunk every night. You can live like, live in sin. It doesn't matter because it's not what's done in the flesh. And yet the Bible talks about, you know, God's going to judge everything in the, the spirit and the flesh. So I'm going to give you some verses of scripture also that deals with those things as well. Uh, I want you to look with me, if you would, uh, that anybody can be looking. Second, second Peter chapter two and verse 20. This is where that you can be lost. Anybody can be lost. So if you are saved and you have the Holy Ghost. Don't play around with God. Don't get foolish with the Lord. 
Don't think, oh, I'm saved and therefore I'm always saved and I don't have to pray. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to worship God. I can come to church and balance my checkbook. I can come to church and play on my cell phone. I can come to church and I can whisper to my friends. You know, I don't think any of y'all do that, but I'm just saying that, that, uh, that those are things that I've known some people that they did those things. Don't do that. Come to church to worship the Lord. And when we get into our morning service today, folks, let's worship God. Hey, lift those hands up and worship. I know if you've got a bum arm, you can't. That's okay. But if you've got two good arms, lift them up and worship God and say, Jesus, I love you. I know sometimes some of us, those arms are heavy up there. But lift them up there and hold them up along you. Jesus, I love you. Because he is worthy of all of our praise. He is worthy of all of our praise. Praise God. He is. And uh, we cannot praise him enough. This is what the Bible says about the fact that we can be lost. I'm reading here now from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For if after they escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ... They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. In other words, if you go back on God and you fail the Lord. For it, it had been better for them. He's speaking about those who had gone back on God. Uh, it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered, uh, delivered unto them. And so it goes on to say here then in this 22nd verse, but it is happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is returned to his own vomit again and the sow was, uh, that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. You can take a pig and you can wash him all up, make him shiny and clean, but he'll go right back to the old mud and roll around in it and everything. That's what he's saying here. They just, that's the nature. So he's saying that this is what that is whenever you do things like this. This is those letting us know that anybody can be lost. Here's another verse of scripture that is found in, uh, I think it's in, uh, it's in Romans, Romans 11. Look at this verse, Romans 11, 21, Romans 11, 21 and 22. For if God spared not the natural branches, this is talking about Israel now and the Lord who favored Israel, rejected Israel and has now Turn to the Gentiles to bring forth a Gentile church out among the Gentiles. And they have become his people. He said, for if God spared not the natural branches, that is the Jews, take heed lest he also spared not thee. In other words, we're not guaranteed anything either if we don't walk with God. And the point here is that we have to continue to live for God and serve him after we're saved. That's why he gave us the book of Acts to tell us how to be saved. And all the epistles on how to stay saved. Praise the Lord. If you want to read, know how to get saved, read the book of Acts. One book. If you want to know how to stay saved, read all the other books. The other, the other 22 epistles. Praise the Lord. Read them. You know, Romans through, uh, through right on down through Jude and Revelation, of course, is prophecy. So anyhow, he goes on to read these as well. Uh, look at verse 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. On them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. So he's letting us know that we're not guaranteed that we will be saved forever if we don't walk with God and serve the Lord as well. 
Uh, here's another verse of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse uh, 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Therefore, when a person says you're born to be saved, you're born to be lost, that can't be right. So what does that predestination mean over in the book of Romans chapter 8? It means it's talking about the church. The church is predestined. Praise the Lord. You and I as individuals are not. Amen. But God loves us and he wants us to be saved. And it's his will to keep us saved if we want to be saved. This is verse 27 here of 9 in 1 Corinthians. But I keep under my body. This is Paul talking about himself now. I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And what he's saying here is that I may have preached to other people and God has seen a lot of other people get saved, but if I don't live for God and I don't walk with God, I could be cast away as well. He's meaning that he don't have it all locked up and wrapped up. Amen. And whenever Paul wrote finally to Timothy, 2 Timothy, he's, and he knew he was going to face the execution very soon, he said, finally, he said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. Praise the Lord. And that's what it boils down to all of us. Fight the good fight of faith, folks. The fight of faith is believing God. Fight the good fight of faith. Believe the Lord. That's what the devil will fight with you about is believing the word of God. If he can keep you from believing the book, if he can keep you from believing the word, he can cause you to trip and stumble. Don't you do that. You always believe the word. Faith is where the battle is. I can keep the faith. If the Lord's word says it, I believe it. If you can ever lock that in your heart, if God says it, I believe it, that's it. That settles it. That's all there is to it. Praise God. It may be difficult. I may not understand everything. I may not all know all the, all the T's and the dots, maybe not just crossed and dotted just right in my thinking about everything. But I know if it's in the word, praise the Lord, it's right because God is right and God will always honor his word. Praise God. Amen. My dad used to tell me, he said, son, in the olden days, he says, you could take a man at his word. I remember years ago, I bought a piece of land from a guy. And you know what we did? We shook hands on it. I went to him. I said, I want to buy a piece of property. He said, all right, it's for sale. Here's what it is. I said, I'll pay it. He said, fine. They, we shook hands, walked away. No contract was signed. No deposit was made. Nothing. He said, when you get ready to buy it, come see me. And it's, it's yours. I got, came to see him. Got the banks to do the financing. Wrote a check out and gave it to him. He signed over the deed to me just like that. You know, it was just a simple process. What I'm trying to say here is that wasn't a bunch of things like a bunch of like, you got your lawyer, you got your lawyer, you know, yeah, 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 you know. What about this? What about that? All the fine print, all, none of that kind of stuff because his word was good. Now, if a man can be that way, how much more so can God be that way? If God says, you've got my word. So, all right, Lord, that's all I need. Please, the Lord, if you say it, I believe it. Hallelujah. And we'll walk with him and those ways God will never fail us. Amen. Well, we've read uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 27 to you. I want you to go for a moment to the book of Revelation. This, I'm going to sort of wrap it up with this, that anybody can be lost is what I'm trying to say here. Even though we're saved, it doesn't mean that we, uh, we're guaranteed that we can never be lost. Everybody still with me on that page? All right, this is one other thing, and this is found in the book of Revelation concerning the seven churches of Asia. And the Lord dealt with these seven churches, each one of them. And I'm reading here in chapter two of Revelations and verse five, this is a church of Ephesus. And he says, you've left your first love. You left your first love and I'm not happy about it. And you are my people, you're my church, you're my body on this earth. 
in that city, but he says, you've left your first love. And here's what he says in verse five. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. Ephesus, you've fallen. You've fallen from where you were. You've slipped back. And he says, remember from where you've fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Which meant that they were in trouble with God if they didn't straighten it out. All I'm pointing out to you here is that here is that this, the church of Ephesus, they could have all been lost if they didn't get their act together. Which means that even though they were saved, they could still be lost at the end if they did not turn to the Lord. And the Lord was saying, here's what's wrong. Here's what you need to do. And you need to repent and, and, and find your first love. You know what the first love is? The first love is loving God first. That's the, that's the first love. First love is loving God first. I want to just drop this in for all you married people. Don't ever lose that first love, folks. All you married, if you're single, just put your fingers in your ear. All you married people, don't lose that first love. You love your wife, wife, you love your husbands. Amen. Don't lose it. Praise God. That first love is invaluable. It'll keep you through a lot of things. I'm feeling the Holy Ghost talking about it. And that's what the Lord was telling the Ephesian church, you know. Don't lose your first love for me. You know how when you first came to the Lord, you loved me? Man, you just, hey, folks, I'm going to tell you something. I was saved at 16 years old. And I was the first guy at the door before they could unlock it to go to church every service. I was out there standing on one foot and then the other foot and then the other foot, waiting for somebody to come there and open up the church so we could go all go inside and start having church. I was one of the first ones there. If I was not the first, I was the second one there because I just love the Lord. I love going to church. How many of you remember that? I love going to church. Whatever happened at the time, you said, oh, I don't know. I don't feel like going to church. I, just, I know. I mean, I was sick last week, so I wasn't here and I couldn't make it, but I wanted to be here. But I'm just saying, how many times do we say, I, uh, I, I just don't want to go to church. I don't feel like no, shame on us. Let's go to church, worship God, and glorify him. Let's not lose that first love because it is in the house of God that we are sort of somewhat guaranteed that we're going to feel the presence and the love and the goodness of God. And this goes all through this book of Revelation. I know my time is gone. And he also says also to the church of Pergamos, I'm going to read the 16th verse in chapter 2, repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. That's another verse. Also, the verse of the church of Thyatira, he warns them. And he talks about a woman, Jezebel, who's among them. It's not the old Jezebel that was a Zidonian back under Elijah's time, but this is another one that did evil things in the church. He said, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which uh, calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things strangled and anguish to to uh, idols. She was led to saying that, well, that was okay. And then he says in verse 21, and I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. Isn't it beautiful that God gives us a chance to repent? I don't care what we do, how bad it is. This woman was wicked, but he gave her a chance to repent. And you find this all through the book of Revelation, but that if they don't change, God is going to take it all away. And finally, the last one I'll read is chapter four, verse 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. 
I wasn't there when he cold or hot. This is the last church, and this is the Laodicean church. Uh, that I would that there are. Uh, let me rephrase this. Verse 16, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and so forth. In other words, the Lord said, I'll get rid of you because you're lukewarm. In other words, he didn't want them if they didn't straighten up and do right. So what I am trying to say here is that God is with us. One other little statement, my time's gone, and that is where it says that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. Have you any of you remember that? That's found over two places in the book of Revelation. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation. Our names are not written from the foundation of the, of the world. Our names are written in the book that's from the foundation of the world. You understand what I'm saying? Our names are written in the book. The book is from the foundation of the world, not our names. Praise the Lord. But some people misinterpret that, so they say, see, we're predestined. Our names are written in the book from the foundation of the world. So we're born to be saved or we're born to be... No, no, no. Our names are written in the book, and the book was from the foundation of the world. And when we get saved, our names are written in the book. Praise the Lord. And the Bible says in one place, be careful that your name is not blotted out of the book. Hallelujah. So which means it can be. Oh, God is so good. Hallelujah. He loves his people. Folks, God loves you. He loves you. And he wants you to be saved, wants you to walk with him and serve him. Let's all stand together. Let's lift our hands and worship God and glorify him and that our musicians are coming. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and blessings. Thank you for this wonderful audience today. Bless all of these good people, God. Give us your love, grace, and goodness in this morning service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.